He's been knocked out. And Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, Play fans. It is Wednesday, May 23rd, and this is the Fistionados Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO Sports Marketing Executive giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinadospod. You will likely be hearing this on Thursday or Friday, hopefully Thursday this week. Um, But let's get right into it. Let's review the action from last week on Showtime. Adonis Stevenson and Badu Jack fight to a majority draw, and Gary Russell Jr. defeats Joseph Diaz, the TV ratings for Saturday night, Stevens and Jack peaked at 611,000 viewers, averaging 535. Russell Diaz peaks at 567. It averages 487. Must be noted, there was strong competition from the NBA playoffs. They averaged over 6.8 million viewers on ESPN, and that's a big number for Saturday night. The pregame show and the Sports Center postgame also did big numbers, doing 1.65 million pregame, 2.2 million post. Just for some context, they've been doing numbers during the week on nights like Thursday night above 8 million. And this is despite all the blowouts that have happened in the NBA playoffs this year. They're doing 30, 40% better than they were doing last year. It is crazy and it is tough competition. So in that context, not a terrible number for Showtime, but both of these fights here, they were really good fights. Like they're not fight of the year candidates or anything like that, but I think all four fighters here have something to build off in terms of in the ring performance. And this isn't a terrible number, but Showtime should really be doing better with names like this on a competitive card like this. And I applaud their fight lineup. I applaud their commitment to the sport. They really need to figure out how to market their fights better on the whole. I think I will look at this at some point in the future in a deeper context. Uh, But the drop in in their viewership from their really big fights, like, you know, Broner Broner wasn't a, a super big fight, but Wilder Ortiz obviously was. The Broner's a bigger name for them. The drop-off from those is, is noticeable. And it's not a matchmaking thing. The matchmaking here was excellent. But let's get to the deep dive quickly this week because this is part two of what I started last week. And I can already tell you I'm going to go longer than usual. There are so many layers to what's happened in the world of combat sports TV deals just in the past week. The UFC shocked everyone and took their entire package to ESPN. This, of course, after the news of the WWE going to Fox Sports 1. All that stuff I'm eventually going to get into on another podcast because right now we are truly going to do a deep end dive into Eddie Hearn's 
$1 billion deal with DAZN and what it potentially means for the consumer, the OTT business, the boxing business, the sports business in general. And really, this is going to be an ongoing discussion because we do not have a lot of answers yet as to exactly what this is. Let's start with some initial facts on DAZN, which is part of the Perform Group. It is owned by Leonard Blavatnik, who is a billionaire who also owns Warner Music, part of Spotify, some other properties as well. DAZN has around 3,000 employees. That is a lot. And it streams sports in several countries, Germany, Japan, and Canada already. And they do not mess around. Next season, they will be showing more Champions League matches than Sky in Germany. They have the exclusive rights to air the English Premier League in Germany, which is a pretty big deal. They have the exclusive rights to the J-League in Japan, which is their top soccer league and probably the most important sports property in Japan. And these are exclusive rights not going to traditional television. They're OTT exclusive rights. I've seen reports that they have a 10-year deal there where they took this off of traditional television and that they have almost 1.5 million subscribers. I can't verify that that's true, but those are the reports I've seen. That is very real. Like That is a big deal. They probably make some really good money doing it, and they have it locked up for a long period of time. The Perform Group also owns Sporting News and Goal.com, and they use those uh, brands to promote their service. They've recently hired John Skipper, the former president of ESPN, and the man responsible, I wouldn't, I'm going to hesitate to call it a shift, but a semi-shift to refocusing ESPN at the time on strategically acquiring live sports rights that have kept them as the prominent home for live sports. The deal that they made with Eddie Hearn was initially reported for eight years and $1 billion. Other reports have it varied, like maybe it's a two-year deal for a little over a reported $100 million a year. Maybe it's a two-year deal with some options. Maybe it's a four-year deal. Eddie Hearn's been a little bit cautious to get into exactly what it is. What we do know is it's 16 total cards a year, 12 big ones, and four massive ones, according to Eddie Hearn. You'll also get the 16 TV cards that Eddie puts on in the UK. Because there haven't been more details and because Eddie Hearn is publicly chasing fighters without promoters, which are basically Al Heyman fighters, we don't know who, besides the fighters already in Eddie's stable, are going to be fighting on this platform. And I'm going to actually leave the individual fighter stuff for another day and just talk about the high-level business aspects of this right now. And there's really, there is so much to unpack here. It's tough to even know where to begin. But let's let's start with the high-level business strategy coming from DAZN. Part of the reason I brought up John Skipper is that he's got an impressive history of taking really big swings on the programming front, and I think he's being hired to do just that. I think most of my listeners need to change the way they think about this in terms of company goals. It goes back to a little of what I touched on with ESPN Plus in the last episode. 
DAZN's goal is not to make a profit by spending $100 million annually on fights, you know, getting, I'm just making up because they're easy round numbers, a million people to sign up and pay $10 a month, which gives them $120 million in annual revenue and they're making a profit. Trust me, there is no intention, maybe not intention, there's no expectation of making a profit right now. John Skipper's job is likely going to be to get a diverse offering of sports programming locked down as quickly as possible and then getting as many subscribers as possible. As I've said before, boxing is a strong candidate to do this because most boxing fans are trained to have to seek it out after they pay 80 to $100 to start their cable bill. So if you articulate a value proposition to them properly, they should be strong candidates to come over to an OTT platform. You need to figure out how to say to them, hey, we're going to spend big money and put on fight cards of much higher quality, top to bottom, than what HBO, Showtime, and ESPN are doing. And specifically with regards to like HBO and Showtime, instead of having to pay for your normal cable package of close to $100 before you can even get to the part where you can spend 15 bucks a month to watch HBO boxing and then Showtime boxing for another 15 bucks or however it works for your cable company. Now you just need to have internet. The zone's goal is to get the viewers who already have cable subscriptions and have no plans of leaving to say to themselves, wow, you offer such a great boxing and sports, you know, eventually sports package that I'm willing to pay 10, 15, $20, whatever it is extra to get this OTT. And maybe I'll think about dropping HBO or Showtime or some other part of my cable package to try to stay cost neutral. Or they want to convince the millennials and all the generations younger than the millennials who have either cut the cord or are never going to get cable to say, I love boxing. I'm frustrated that I have to constantly watch it at a bar or stream it off my parents' account. And I'll say, yeah, I'm in on that. The even tougher sell for this is to say to loyal cable subscribers, hey, you know what? Drop your cable bill, pay for internet, and then just get the type of programming you want, including our wonderful offering, and you will save a ton of money. But especially that last one was a tough one to make. And as a company right now, they are going to lose a lot of money year over year while they try to acquire all that programming. And as I've said above, that's okay. They are entering a world, you know, where they do need to convince people to say, eventually I'm dropping cable and I will get a better value by subscribing to YouTube TV or Hulu and, and whatever it is, and then going OTT for all the programming that I really care about. This world is one in which investors might not care about making a profit. As I've said earlier, growth is going to be a much higher priority than profit. And I know that may sound weird to some of you, but my example is Netflix doesn't make a profit right now. They are spending close to $16 per subscriber and charging close to $13 per subscriber. They're losing quite a bit of money right now. The, 
I don't want to get too caught up in that comparison, but the race in this sports battle is to acquire as much exclusive sports rights as possible, as quickly as possible. And boxing is a great way to start with that because all the events are single entities. In other words, you don't have to wait until the next NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, whatever, name your league sports rights are up. You don't have to wait till they're done and then outbid a terrestrial TV network for that content. DAZN is going to, on average, spend probably double what Showtime is spending per show right now. And HBO's budget, well, let's not even go there, but safe to say they are probably spending more money than both networks combined. We don't know exactly how that $100 million per year is getting broken up, but they are going to have to spend some money on setting up infrastructure that can handle all this, including hiring some staff, creating ancillary content, marketing, etc., all that kind of stuff. What they are ultimately doing right now on the PR front is making they're, – they're starting to make this argument to the hardcore fans, and I touched on it earlier, but I think it could be a good one. It's, if you look at your year-end spend on boxing, you are getting ripped off. When you include pay-per-views, HBO, Showtime, ESPN, you know, whatever else you need, on a cable subscription, you are in the hundreds, if not close to $1,000 for hardcore fans. And that's not even including what it takes to spend on, a, on your cable bill to even get to the point where you can order HBO or Showtime. You know, the service is promising not to put on pay-per-view fights and instead be closer to something resembling the WWE Network. And for those who aren't aware, the WWE Network, it puts on a lot of events exclusive to its $10 a month over-the-top service. And essentially, you get all the big pay-per-views for free. The problem with this argument right now, at least, is that there are just too many unknown variables for people to understand if it's a good business proposition, if it's good value. You know, first of all, we don't know how much DAZN will be in the U.S. in terms of a price. If it's $10 to $15, then great. If it is over $20, most customers really are going to need to see the quality of the content before they subscribe. Especially with ESPN Plus delivering a lot of good upcoming fights for $4.99 a month, you know, DAZN charging over $20 is a tough, that's a tough thing. It's a tough sell. It's like, unless that includes Anthony Joshua versus Deontay Wilder, or maybe some other big fight, like let's say Triple G beats Canelo in December and, and then DAZN gets the next big Triple G fight, something like that. Like this, is, those would be game changers. Those would be tangible fights where consumers can say, I would have spent $80 on that on pay-per-view, but you're giving it to me for $20 this month, so I'm in. And, and I might even be in for the next couple months based on what you've done for me. Let's just see what you can keep doing. Then DAZN will need to time their follow-up programming so you keep your subscription month to month, and their focus would sort of shift to marketing on their churn. 
and this is where the WWE model has been extremely successful. Their stock is at a real high point right now. Um, you know, and trust me, every major OTT or pay cable channel spends a lot of energy focusing on this. How do you reduce churn? And what I mean by this is how do you reduce, how do you stop customers who like the WWE network, w w this would be the equivalent. There's the big event where Ronda Rousey and The Rock and all, John Cena show up. And there's maybe two or three events like that per year. How do you stop the people from just subscribing for that month and then halting their subscription until another big event comes up? How do you reduce the churn? How do you make sure your customers feel good about paying that fee each and every month? Because, you know, the moment you go through a lull and HBO and Showtime subscribers have both gone through these lulls, they basically go through them every year. It's really easy to pull the plug. So not only is scheduling part of the equation, it also involves a lot of messaging and, a, and the right ancillary programming. And this is where you really got to pause and think. Because um, I've hit here on what this means for both the design business part and, and also the consumer part a bit. But let's bring John Skipper back into the equation. Part of his job is going to be profiling the subscribers that are signing up for boxing and then finding other complementary sports that can get the hardcore fans of those other sports then to make them crossover fans of both and articulate a great argument for them to sign up and, and feel good about the value they're, that they're getting. Here's the practical application of that. So soccer or basketball, and I mean, now that we've seen the UFC and WWE go, you know, sort of sign their TV and digital deals, these wouldn't happen. But if they hadn't have done that, they, they would be potentially effective additions to the zone platform. You know, soccer and basketball both profile really well with the same audience that, that profiles on boxing. Um, if you make, like, let's say you are looking at a Hispanic-based audience and they profile well for boxing and well for soccer and you get the rights to La Liga or something like that, even if you're not a hardcore boxing fan but you like it and you also like soccer, that might be the value for you to sign up and keep your subscription. You might be happy with both even though you're not a hardcore fan of either. That's basically what I'm getting at here. The challenge for Skipper is going to be to get those rights as they come up and then just continue to make that argument and, and find that value. Now, I mean, maybe he can get it right away. Like maybe he can license it from a content provider like the in sports or pull off some sort of miracle like that. I doubt that's going to happen. The last time that happened was when stars licensed out their entire movie library to Netflix. And for anyone who's followed Netflix, you know, that worked out terribly for essentially every content provider except Netflix. You know, basically stars put them on the map and, and increased their subscription base massively and allowed Netflix to dwarf all the sort of epics and stars and, and now HBO and Showtime type of providers. So I don't think anyone else will make that kind of mistake. But who knows? Maybe they will. Skipper's going to have to pay big bucks for these sports rights. 
and he's going to have to do it so DAZN doesn't just end up being some niche boxing platform. He he really needs to make it a straight competitor to ESPN. If you look at the type of programming that they're acquiring in other parts of the world, it's the biggest sports. Like they're acquiring soccer in Germany. They, you know, like they're really making a big push. I mean, soccer in Japan is a big deal too. Like, I guess what I'm saying is they didn't hire John Skipper just to stay in the boxing lane here. They want him going out and getting other big time sports. So let's focus for a second on the consumer. And I think this is where it goes a little bit more from theory into reality and it gets a lot more interesting. You know, you heard how some of this stuff is going to affect you, but ultimately it's that equation of, of what I spoke about earlier. What does Eddie Herman mean when he says 12 big events and four massive ones? Like, how much is this going to cost? If it is Anthony Joshua fighting Deontay Wilder and it's $10 a month, then great. You're probably, you know, you probably got a lot of people signing up for that for a full year. But if it's not Anthony Joshua fighting Deontay Wilder and it's 20 bucks a month, you're still going to get people like me who live in this OTT world already who aren't going to care about spending 20 bucks a month. But for people who are keeping their cable, that's a tough argument. And where you've heard me on this podcast say that ESPN Plus is a great buy for the price and you shouldn't complain about it. The proof is really in the pudding right here. In the next four weeks, you're going to see quite a nice lineup. Inouye versus McDonald, and Cajas versus Sultron, Crawford versus Horn, Murray versus Saunders, and then you're going to see Loma versus Linares get added to the library. You know, now that's not going to be every month, but Eddie's got to put on some really strong cards to compete with that. I mean, if he's charging $20 a month, $4.99, that's a quarter of the price. The other point of comparison here is that with ESPN Plus, you're getting a discount while they are figuring it out. And I don't want to rehash everything I said last week, but essentially this is going to start out as a platform for boxing, MMA, and, you know, some niche sports with a worldwide focus, you know, a little bit of MLS while they figure it out. And while they're giving, you know, while they're figuring it out, they're giving fight fans a big discount. It's the complete opposite, though, with DAZN. The boxing consumer right now is going to pay full freight while DAZN is figuring it out. And, you know, they're, they've got fighter contracts to work out. It might be tough for Eddie Hearn, even with all the money he has, to deliver major quality until that first big event comes where the consumer can say, yes, I'm in. I would have bought that on pay-per-view, and, and now I'm not going to have to pay for it. So I'm in. And that brings us to the part of how this really affects the machinations of the fight business. I've said before that I love disruptors, and we're seeing a major disruption in the marketplace. The first question that everyone is going to have here is, how is this cash infusion different from the PBC? You know, the PBC was on a free network TV. Why do I have to pay for this? Well, the PBC, in my humble opinion, was a smash and grab job. I mean, Al Heyman raised a ton of money, but he did time buys on network TV, so that 
those dollars were never quote unquote real because consumers basically got a gift. You know, time buys ultimately need to make more ad inventory than the cost of putting on the shows. And that never happened. Boxing was also never really treated like a major sport by any of the networks involved because they were never on the hook for anything. You know, they had no stake in the business of the sport. And I don't mean to demonize Al Heyman by saying that. Good job on him for raising that kind of money and introducing network executives to the concept that millions of people will watch great fights. You know, we've also entered a world of segmented viewership to the point where the numbers that the PBC initially got would now be looked upon as huge successes and the network would pony up for those in a heartbeat. Now, Alan and many other managers and to some extent promoters are going to be faced with real choices on how they deal with this infusion of cash. The industry mindset around the time of the start of the PBC was something along the lines of, look, this is kind of crazy. We don't really think it's going to work out. So let's hunker down. Let's weather the storm. You know, and, and Al is the really the one benefiting from this because he's paying the license fees that he's ultimately taking a percentage of as an advisor. And that is not the case here at all. John Skipper and Eddie Hearn, like they really know what they're doing. And, you know, as, from a network perspective, not from a manager perspective. And definitely as a manager, maybe more so than you think as a promoter, you need to play this really, really carefully. You can't just be loyal to Showtime or HBO or even ESPN because you can't hold your fighter back if they have a great opportunity to make a lot of money. You know, maybe DAZN won't be spending $100 million by year three. Maybe they will. But if this contract goes all eight years and they're going to spend that billion dollars and you aren't part of it then as a manager or something like that, you risk losing your clients. I mean, just in general, that's a lot of dollars to give up your percentage on. And it's not in your best interest. You really have to get involved here. And as a promoter, it's the same thing, maybe to a lesser extent. Yes, you really need to maintain good relationships at the networks that pay your bills, but newsflash to all parties here. There won't be four major networks spending this kind of dollars by the start of year three for DeZone's contract. Now you have to think that ESPN will still be involved with this. And at the moment, there is no sign that Showtime is going to slow down on their commitment to boxing, but that could change if their product becomes so inferior to DeZone that it starts to affect their subscriber base. And HBO, I mean, you can call their commitment to boxing into question right now. Their spends are year to year, so people will know in the fall, you know, certain people will know in the fall, I should say, if they have or haven't budgeted their money for 2019 or next year 2020 boxing. But even, even though they're falling behind Showtime in a major way at the moment, I would never assume that they're completely out of the picture. If the sale goes through and AT&T decides they want to be in the boxing business in a major way, then with a big infusion of cash, HBO could be right at the, back at the top of the mountain. DAZN is a different animal because of the details of the contract. 
they really haven't come out yet. I mean, if it's if it's a two-year deal for options for the other six and the subscriber base is low, you can't count on them doing nine-figure spends on boxing by year four or five. I mean, look, hopefully this ends up being successful for all parties. You know, I've said before with regards to pay-per-view that the system is so completely screwed up and essentially your cable company benefits way too much. You know, the consumer is getting screwed completely on it. So I think there is room to cut out a lot of that fat and still have favorable outcomes for all parties. And maybe this is going to be the solution. Maybe Eddie Hearn is going to be able to sign a lot of these top fighters out there. And, and there are a lot of type, top fighters without long-term commitments to promoters. You know, I'm sure a decent amount of them will end up with Eddie Hearn and on to zone. It's just too much money not to take seriously. But if they do charge too much money out of the gate to the consumer, and we don't get that big signature event four times a year, then subscribers might not be there. And this is going to create awkward situations for all the promoters that are affiliated with HBO right now. The Tom Lawflers, the Kathy Dubas, even the golden boys of the world that rely on HBO license fees and the pay-per-view machine, they've got to be freaking out and considering all their options. For smaller outfits, like the first two I mentioned, they need to carefully weigh the fees that they can get by giving up some control and working with Eddie on his platform. Any promoter who is in their position and could lose their top fires to Eddie if he offers them massive, massive amounts of money. And they've got to explore all these partnerships in real ways. They also need to stay in the business themselves. And, and they're good, if not great, promotional outfits. I've worked with both of them. So it's a delicate balance. The golden boys of the world who rely so much on the traditional pay-per-view model have got to be looking at all their options, too. What if the zone has the same effect on cable pay-per-view purchases as the WWE model has. And a newsflash for for everybody here, they've gone way down since the WWE model has gone to a model where you can just pay $10 and get the pay-per-view you, and you get the, subscrip the subscription service for one month. Golden Boy is very reliant on Canelo's fights, bringing in huge pay-per-view numbers and if DAZN replaces the current pay-per-view system, they, they could be completely screwed. I haven't even touched on the promotional outfits that work under the Showtime Heyman model. You know, they're the ones who don't, they don't have the long-term contracts in place with their fighters. On one hand, as long as Showtime keeps putting on strong cards, then the Lou DeBellas and all the smaller promoters on that side of the street are very much needed because Al Heyman is not a promoter. But on the other hand, how does it work if Eddie Hearn steals away all their fighters that they've traditionally worked with? Al is still going to get his advisor percentage, whether his fighters are on Showtime or DAZN. But he doesn't need these promoters if these guys are going over to DAZN. Even if DAZN doesn't want to stay this strongly committed to the boxing in the United States, Eddie puts on a lot of fights in the UK and he's not just going to go away. I really think the only promoter that should feel okay about this is Top Rank. Because right now, if they keep chugging along on ESPN, especially if ESPN Plus 
ends up being a quarter of the price of DAZN, they're still positioned really, really well. A lot of these are just questions and things to look for right now because no one has a whole lot of info as to how they should proceed. This deal, like I said, gets compared to the PVC quite a bit. But the one thing we do know here for the consumer that is drastically different from the PVC is that you, the collective consumer, are ultimately going to be paying for this. DAZN is going to fund it up. They're going to fund it up front. But if consumers aren't paying for it by year three or year four, the service may not stay in U.S. boxing and your boxing world could look a lot different. Some high-end investment financial firm paid for the PBC's time buy in the hopes that sponsors like Corona, Takate, or you know whatever, some car company, was going to ultimately end up footing the bill. But now you, the consumer, are paying for it. And the consequences of that are going to be very real. While you may not like hearing that you're footing the bill this time, you know, there's some obvious downsides to that, but there's also some potential massive benefits for you. And here's what I mean by that. Like I mentioned above, this move is going to shape, shake up the boxing landscape in a way that could make permanent changes. What if in 2019 HBO still hasn't resolved the AT&T merger, or even worse, if they do and AT&T decides it doesn't want to be in the boxing business, you know, they could be out of the equation. If that happens, and then if DAZN doesn't have enough subscribers, and they find that buying rights to La Liga or some other soccer league works better for them, then your boxing world might be reduced to Al Heyman on Showtime and top rank on ESPN. Maybe Golden Boy and some of these other smaller promoters find a home somewhere, but you may not like that world at all. You may end up really liking a world where Eddie Hearn is providing good fights for you on a regular basis and you aren't paying for pay-per-views. If you finally say, screw it, leave your cable subscription, get ESPN Plus and DAZN and maybe Fubo TV for sports or Hulu or YouTube TV, Netflix, whatever it is, whatever combo needs for you, you know, serves your needs. You might save 70, 80 bucks on your cable bill per month. You might get everything you need. You might not have to buy two or three or four pay-per-views a year and your life's great. And if Eddie Hearn is really delivering then and giving you big time fights to zone adds another sport or two that you really are interested in watching, you may really like the world where you're paying 20 bucks a month for the service. But this is all going to be decided by the collective version of you. If DAZN doesn't have enough subscribers and decides boxing was a great experiment, but the NHL is going to be their bread and butter, then you guys aren't going to get the fights. Al Heyman controlled what you saw on the PBC, and he didn't need to listen to you because it wasn't your money. Eddie Hearn, on the other hand, does have to listen to you. And DAZN is going to have a direct relationship with you. So they'll be able to quickly see which fighters have real fan support and which ones don't. They'll know which fights are the ones that fans really want to see. They'll know where you hit pause on a show, where you turn it off because you're bored. They'll know what, which fights you watch live right in the moment and which fights it's okay that you missed them and you'll catch up a few hours later. 
Hopefully Eddie Hearn uses that info and gives you the fights you want to see. He has a track record of eventually making the big fights in the UK. But now he's got to do it in the US. And in a lot of ways, it's you, the consumer, are really in his hands. You know, I know I've got a, I've gone a bit long on this, but I wanted to I wanted to really get into this. I, this is sort of the theoretical part of this discussion because we don't know yet who Eddie's ultimately going to have. We saw, you know, right now we saw some comedy with Adrian Broner. There's some rumors about Cesar Chavez Jr. and that kind of stuff. This is not the time to judge it. Eddie Hearn's going to make a lot of signings between here and six months from now. I think the time to judge it is when you see your first big event and when you really start to see who he's partnering with and when you really start to see what are the what are the third undercard fights on this on his cards? What is he really delivering to you? That's that's when you got to start judging this. But this is going to be an ongoing discussion on this podcast. Right now we're in the question phase. We're in the higher level discussions of it. And again, I know I've gone a bit long, but trust me, as as more info leaks out, we'll we'll keep discussing this and it's a real big deal. I mean, this is this is one of the biggest deals in the history of boxing, and it's going to shake up the world in a major way. So let's move on. Let's look at the preview section here. May 25th on ESPN Plus, Jamie McDonald taking on Naiwe Inoue for McDonald's regular bantamweight title. Inoue is about a 5 or 6 to 1 betting favorite. And then on May 26th, Jerwin Ancajas versus Jonas Sultan for Ancajas' IBF junior bantamweight title. Ancajas is about a 6-1 to favorite. It is apparently, I did not realize this, somewhat unique that two fighters of Filipino descent are fighting each other for a title that is not something that happens traditionally. Also in the card, Khalid Yafai and David Carmona, where Yafai is a big favorite. 30 to 1 or something like that. I covered some of this ESPN uh, Plus stuff a little bit above. I think the key thing right now is that we're exiting the ESPN Plus world of Amir Khan versus Phil LaGreco, and we are entering the world of semi-competitive fights that are put on, certainly interesting fights that are put on all around the world And I'm really interested to see how it's going to be presented. If the presentation and coverage of these fights ends up feeling a lot like what we see on ESPN, on HBO, and Showtime right now, then great. While they're all decent cards, I think the presentation and and also how people end up consuming them is just more important right now. Either way, for the next episode, I'm not going to have viewership numbers to talk about, you know, unless some of that info leaks out or something like that. And I think that's really interesting. I think, you know, Nielsen is starting to figure out how to track Netflix numbers. And trust me, there are 
ways of doing it with smart TVs. There's a lot of ways that marketers are presented with info for how to track these numbers. I'm going to right now just simply use public numbers that they get either they get leaked out in the boxing news world or uh, public numbers that are on other TV rating sites for how to track these. But it's going to be really interesting to see how ESPN Plus presents any kind of viewership numbers and how they look at it as a success, uh, what their barometer is for that kind of stuff. I'm going to go on vacation for two weeks. I will be back. I will preview the fights that are coming up in June. Obviously, that Crawford Horn fight, I think that's a great fight. May not be as competitive as it is quote unquote big in terms of what this means for Terrence Crawford. And I'm also interested for that one in seeing how ESPN as a whole network covers that fight going into June. But, anyways, it has been fun. I think there's a lot more to talk about with DAZN. I hit on some very high-level stuff. When I And when I say high-level, I mean top-line business perspective type stuff. I can't wait to get to the point where I get out of the hypotheticals and into the realities of what this is going to mean for you guys. But I hope this, this episode's helpful. I hope it I hope it helps you decide whether you want to subscribe to this. You know, obviously, if you're trying to get a personal opinion from me, I still have a lot of questions about how this is going to work. This isn't something like the ESPN Plus app where I'm going to run out and say to you guys, hey, you should just do this. Like, it's crazy that for $4.99 a month, you're not just automatically doing this. Get in now on that stuff. With DAZN, let's see. Like I said earlier, right now, you are footing the bill for everything, whereas ESPN is giving you a discount. Take your discount. Get ESPN+. Plus. When it comes to DAZN and Eddie Hearn, let's see what Eddie ends up doing. He's got till September to start winning people over and signing fighters and, and, and truly setting up cards and telling us what are those four big events that we're going to get. Are you really going to save me $80 four times a year? If you can do that, Eddie, I'm in. Actually, you know I'm in either way, but that's me. For the average consumer, if you can do that, I think the average consumer will be in. But it's going to be a slog to get there. And I'm really interested in seeing what the subscription numbers look like at the end of year one. I am not as optimistic as, as some other people are, especially who look at this kind of OTT stuff on a regular basis. But anyways, guys, I'm off to my vacation it is really the first time I'm doing this since I moved across the country from New York to L.A. and started a new job and did all that kind of stuff and started this podcast. So I'm really looking forward to some time off. Talk to you guys in two weeks. Have a good time. Enjoy these ESPN Plus experiences for whatever that means. Bye. Did you get what you was looking for?